Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics uh, Podcast. Hello, Yang Lee. Thank you so much uh, for joining us in the podcast. I would like to ask you how you would like to define yourself for the audience who may be first time listening to you. Uh, yeah, thanks for the invitation. My name is Yongle Park. I'm a roboticist and I'm mainly focused on research in the area of soft robotics. So mm -hmm. inside of soft robotics, I'm also interested in developing new uh, types of actuators and sensors like artificial skins, artificial muscles, and then by integrating those sensors and actuators, so I'm building robotic systems that could be applied to human uh, bodies or interacting with humans. So I'd like to go for your childhood. How was your childhood was being interested in science or technology as a kid? Yes, so I came to know about robots from the uh, TV animations and cartoons. So there were two types of robots uh, in my childhood. Uh, in my, uh, there, 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 are, there, there were two types of robots in my mind. So mm -hmm. based, on I, what, based on what I learned from uh, animations and cartoons and also sometimes books. So one type of robots is huge, strong robots. Those kind of robots uh, protect Earth and uh, human beings from aliens or some evil uh, things. So that is one type of robots. The other type of robots uh, in, my, in my imagination and in my mind is uh, small and uh, interactive with humans. So you can play with robots, you can uh, interact with robots and you can also ask them to your uh, chores. And those kind of uh, robots were uh, in my mind. So when we go to the audience, and one of them asked that uh, you are an inspiration that say that your inspiration for designing sensors and they are thankful for what you're do, doing in this research line. So maybe I just ask you about the designing process for sensor and actuation. And mm -hmm. because in soft robotics we speak about sometimes we have the passive material and also the active material if we speak about ionic conductive polymer or this category. If you can tell us how it take to design a material that could be as a sensor and actuator at the same time, and what could be a trade-off in the design process. So if you can tell us about how you design the sensors that could be embedded in the material. First step, how you do that? So yeah, in my previous research, so we got inspiration from, uh, art, uh, we got inspiration from biology. So if you look at your biological muscles of humans or animals, so they have a sensor organs called Golgi tendon organ and muscle spinders. So they are embedded in the muscle and then they can detect the position change and also force change. So imagine you have hundreds, hundreds of muscles in your body, but you have all the muscles with embedded these sensors. So in that way, you can control the muscle uh, you can control your emotions and you can you can control your force of your body in the level of muscles in the level of actuators so from this inspiration we wanted to have these kind of sensors in the actuators so in traditional robotics you use encoders and you use a load cells for detecting position and also force but 
if you have sensors that can directly detect how much uh, displacement you are making or how much force you are making, your control will be more accurate and uh, you can have more adaptive motions so mm -hmm. in the robot. Yeah. So mm -hmm. from that inspiration, we started building uh, sensor embedded uh, actuators. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you can tell us about maybe the maybe biggest technological blocks for embedding sensor in, um, in the, for example, in material or your soft robot, because every guest just highlight, it's still super challenging. If you can tell us about the challenging that you maybe can pinpoint what is still challenging for designing mm -hmm. sensor itself modeling mm -hmm. them or designing them or embedding them so yeah so robots are advancing a lot significantly these days but if you look at biology so for example if you look at just the human hand there are thousands of tens of thousands of sensors on your hand so you can have really dense sensor organs sensors in your body so the current robots are lacking of those sensing uh, sensing capability and the really abundant uh, information from sensors. So it'd be great if we can put more sensors and more sensors in the robot body. But the problem is the signal processing and the how you how would you deal with uh, data? How would you deal with processing all the data? And also, if you have so many sensors. You should have a signal wires, so many signal wires connected to the sensors. That makes the system really complicated, complex, and your fabrication process is really uh, difficult. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first roadblock is adding so many sensors in your body, in the robot's body. But the second uh, challenge is uh, how you would pro process those uh, signals and those data. And then you also need to think about uh, how you can deal with those wires and signal uh, bus. So you mm -hmm. can keep your structure as simple as possible. That's a very interesting point. I'm curious to ask you in that case, young lady, do you think the structures, when you select the geometry or the structure, and the other side also they say that the huge computation power you have to do, is there any way to circumvent this issue? Do you think if you select a certain geometry so that you can map the sensing in an intelligent way and capture what's really you're looking for in the system? Any, any other way to do that to circumvent these issues in the design process? Yeah, so that is part of morphological computation or embodied intelligence. So mm -hmm. that's what thought robotics research, researchers want to do. So many of the researchers want to do. So if you can embed those uh, kind of intelligence in the structures, so uh, then you can relieve uh, the burdens of control and processing a lot. So uh, it won't take care of the entire control or it, won't take, it will not take care of uh, all the processing uh, efforts, but at least it could uh, alleviate uh, the processing and control efforts by embedding those uh, structural in intelligence in the body. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent point. I guess the skew in that case, do you think the representation of this sensor, because we speak about uh, how, how the geometric, for example, nonlinearities or the material nonlinearities could maybe play a significant role to uh, get rid of the controller design, for example, if we uh, 
extract the beneficial geometric nonlinear or the material nonlinearities, or maybe the way we represent this sensor in nonlinear topology in the material. Have you ever thought about that? How how you can make it simpler and extract the features you really have, the intrinsic features you have for nonlinearities, for example. Mm, okay. So in traditional robotics, uh, many times, uh, in many cases, we consider the system linear. So you could have simpler mathematical models and your control is uh, simpler. But in soft robotics, if you use polymer materials, especially, then there are variations in the material properties. And also there is a hysteresis in the system. So you need to take care of those uh, features if you want to have nice models or accurate models. But it's not always easy using uh, mechanics or physics. So uh, one solution could be used machine learning, or some other solution could be used uh, statistical uh, process. So for example, in the hysteresis, you can consider uh, yeah, you can consider your hysteresis as a random process. Then you can have a stochastic analysis. Then you will have a better understanding of uh, hysteresis and also sometimes a non-linearity. So uh, that is something you can take. That is uh, one way to take care of those non-linearity and uh, uh, hysteresis in the system. And non-linearity is not always, non-linearity is, is not always something you need to avoid. Sometimes you can get some benefit from nonlinearity. So if you look at your body and your muscle is really nonlinear. So if you, uh, so if you apply force and if you contract your muscle and there is some point you can make the maximum force. So depending on the position, you have different force you can generate. So it's not really linear system, but that is something you really can adapt your body to your environment. So by having, if you utilize nonlinearity, sometimes it's not easy to uh, model and control, but there must be some uh, benefit mm -hmm. too. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm curious to ask you, when you design the sensors, for example, is there something like an avoidable trade-off, something you have to, yeah, maybe to give up on the design process. Do you have something like that you still, I have to give up in this wish list, for example, I need that, but I can get them at the same time. So there's a trade-off, unavoidable trade-off and the design process. Design process. So trade-off in design process. Or maybe so after design, if you have other process uh, in different stages, if you have a trade-off and you can't really avoid it, so. Mm -hmm. So like I said before, yeah, if you want to embed or if you want to uh, equip uh, the system with more sensors and more sensors, and the system becomes really complex and uh, the fabrication process is also difficult. Too. And then uh, the system is complication heavy. So those are always a trade-off. Mm -hmm. So you want to have, you want to get more information from the system so you can have a better control and you can have a better prediction of the system. But the problem is, the more information you get, that mean, means the more sensors or the more components you need to put in the system. 
So that is always trade-off, I think. Mm -hmm. Great, great, yeah. And maybe there's also arguments, but only argument. So we have seen that software robotics is pretty slow. And of course, depending on the context of the application, but what we see when it comes to, for example, any conductive polymer or this material, this category, we have this kind of trade-off between the forces we aspire to have and the response time. There's like trade-off between the response time and the forces. Do you agree with that? Do you think we, how we can have maybe a reasonable high forces that can use, yeah, because it's still the force is pretty slow, uh, pretty low, and also the response time is also maybe not slow as well. I don't know, have you ever said about this? Uh, yeah, yeah, so I can give an example uh, with the pneumatic actuators. So if you look at pneumatic artificial muscles like a, a pant, pneumatic, uh, yeah. So if you look at artificial muscles, uh, sorry. So I can give you, I can give you an example with pneumatic actuators. So if you think about pneumatic artificial muscles like uh, mechanical muscles, if you wanna have a higher force generation, then you need to have a larger diameter of the muscle, which means uh, you need to have a large volume of the actuator. So it will take longer time to put airs to generate a large force. So there is trade-off. So the response time will be longer and then the actuator will be uh, slower, but you can generate higher force. So to overcome those limitations, uh, you can make really small size of actuators, many actuators, and those small actuator chambers can be configured in parallel or in series. So you can control your uh, displacement and you can also control the contraction force, but it, each cell doesn't take a long time to actuate. So if you look at only one single cell that doesn't generate larger force and that, that doesn't generate a uh, large displacement, but, but combining many cells of those, those actuators, you can, you can configure uh, the system so you can have desired forces and desired displacement. That's excellent point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I could ask you what maybe you think, what area or direction you think in terms of designing the sensor or maybe in soft robotics in general, you think it's very promising, but maybe we still give, don't give much attention, but we don't consider maybe the real question. What's something you think is still missing? Or maybe we don't we don't give much attention to it at the moment. What do you think could yeah should looks like or have we ever thought about we still we don't really consider that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought about that too. Uh, so in soft robotics, a lot of people use and also uh, in soft robotics, a lot of a lot of people use, including me. So a lot of people use the polymers or uh, the main material to make sensors, actuators, and robots. But most of the polymers are not really environmentally uh, friendly. So one point of, uh, one, one advantage of soft robotics is you can make the robot really cheap and simple and disposable. But if you dispose those sensors and actuators and robots uh, mm -hmm. many times, then, I don't think that that will be uh, beneficial for environment. So in the future, it'd be great if we can uh, create cheap uh, biodegradable 
uh, polymerase that could be used for soft robotics. Very excellent point. Thanks for saying that. I think that's maybe one of the most interesting answers for those questions. I'm curious to skew that case because yeah, you're right. For example, when we go for ionic conductive polymer, it's still toxic. And what does it take to, to achieve this goal? Do you think we have to maybe change something in the, in the way we design them? If you can highlight more, more detail, if we consider that being beneficial, what will be changing and what we do? Which, which factor will be changing to achieve this goal? Yes, yeah, so far, there are many options of choosing different types of uh, polymers. So polyurethane, mm -hmm. uh, silicon, and even in the same type of polymer, there are different grades. So you can find the very different grade of stiffness or Young's modulus or, or a stretchability, these things. But currently in the biodegradable, polymers, you don't have those much choice, many choices. Hmm. So if you want to have really biodegradable sensors and actuators, which are practical for uh, different applications, then it'd be great you can have uh, really many options of polymers with yeah. biodegradability. Yeah. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to ask you um, about maybe what could be challenging uh, when it comes to designing multi-material, for example, because you focus on bioinspiration. Uh, and we have a debate recently about bioinspiration, the spy hybrid design. And when you look at the solution, for example, multi-material, when you combine two different materials, there's something you have to load in that case. I mean, it may become how we can make the stress concentration and the design maybe lower as much as we can. So from your experience, when you combine two different materials, what's the challenging or integrate material, two material and some structure? What's yeah, the uh, One big challenge is always uh, interface between the two materials. Mm -hmm. So if we have a multi-material structures and those two materials need to uh, bond together very well. So otherwise it will be the weak point or failure mode. So when you stretch multiple times, when you bend multiple times. so you need to think about how you can interface those two materials and then how you can make those two materials bond together really well. So that is one uh, big challenge always we have. So for example, if you wanna use some type of polyurethane and if you wanna use some type of silicon rubber, but those two materials doesn't really bond well. So to make really good cross-link, you need to use the same type of uh, polymers, the same type of type like uh, even though you have different stiffness, you need if you use a silicon rubber, it'd be great if you can use a different uh, stiffness, uh, different types of silicon rubber with different stiffness. But mm -hmm. we cannot really use, uh, different materials with, uh, to make multi-material structures. So that is one challenge. If you can make those materials bond really well without uh, failures, and then that will give us. Uh, uh, a lot more choices of making uh, sensors and poly, uh, a lot of a lot of that will give us a lot of options of mm -hmm. making sensors, actuators, and robots. So I'm going to ask you, uh, what could be still maybe um, main challenges in your research when it got, comes to your lab? What's something you think is very interesting you're doing now, and maybe focus for, yeah, in coming years? And you think it's very challenging as well, um, and also interesting for your lab, if you can tell us about more of that. 
the focus in mm -hmm. your lab? Yeah, there are many challenges, but one of the challenges that we are always facing is modeling. So we want to model the system, we want to model the uh, structures to predict how they behave. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you use soft materials, if you use polymer materials, right? as I said before, uh, because of the variations of the material properties and because of the non-linearity, it's really hard to make uh, accurate models. So that's always ch challenging. So these days we use, sometimes we use machine learning, sometimes we use a stochastic process to predict those uh, behaviors. But mm -hmm. uh, if we can predict, the, if we can have a way to predict the behavior of the polymer materials and the uh, soft structures, that would be really useful in the future. That's very interesting, Buen, and excellent, because yeah, it's super challenging when it comes to designing polymer. Why you bother yourself with modeling? Because I, I didn't find, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but there's no much effort in modeling this material. It's high linear, viscoelastic, and it's really complex. Mm -hmm. How how you manage to maybe capture what you expect? What yeah, if you can tell us about modeling, what level of modeling you have to go for to capture this complexity in this material, or expecting the behavior because it it there's no much effort maybe uh, yeah it's hard it's hard and if you yeah, can tell us yeah. how you do that yeah, yeah. how you how you manage even to get these results? I don't know if I. I'm really managing those things. I always feel hard on that area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But which level do you think you have to go for to understand them in the modeling? Which maybe parameters you look for uh, in the modeling so that you need to get this uh, parameters or you need to consider this, this uh, significant element or parameters? How, how yeah, you think so about this modeling? Yeah. Yeah, uh, in solid mechanics, uh, so if you if you use uh, metal materials, mm. so you consider most of the materials have a constant Young's modulus in during in the elastic region, mm. but if you use polymer materials, your Young's modulus is really not constant. It always changes. It's really nonlinear. Mm. So. At least if you can predict the curve of Young's modulus or other material properties in the elastic region, then that'd be really useful. So since we don't have those kind of uh, property, we don't have those kind of information, we get uh, those properties empirically or experimentally. Mm -hmm. So it's not easy to implement it or it, it, it's not easy to uh, employ, I don't know, if it's not easy to use uh, the information uh, provided from the data sheet. Mm. Yeah. So yes. we get those, in, we try to get information experimentally and empirically. Yeah. Mm. But the experimental uh, data is not always consistent. So there's always uh, certain, there's always, there is Oh, there are always something that affects and those experimental results in the lab. So yeah. I don't know if you can ever get those information, uh, but yeah, I really want to have those yeah. uh, information about the materials. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. This is also hard. Yeah. So you're doing really, yeah, maybe a stride in that area. So 
Thank you for doing that. Yeah. I'm going to ask you whether anything you thought would work out very well, maybe in modeling, because you're really doing a lot of modeling or designing process. And when it comes to empirical work, you found something was counterintuitive or surprising result. You didn't expect this result. It's really counterintuitive. Have you something that happened to you when you design modeling or maybe, yeah, before going to real experiment? The result was, wasn't expected was counterintuitive to what you thought you have to see. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had something like that? Yeah, I can give an example of that. Uh, so in one of my students' research, we were building uh, mobile robots, a new type of robot, mobile robots. So mm -hmm. it, it's shaped like a tripod. And then in each leg of the tripod robot, we have vibration equators. So depending on which two of three actuators you're actuating, you can make uh, omnidirectional translational motions. So it's more like just a vibration uh, mobile robots. So you apply just vibrations of the lag of the three robots. So there is no linkage, only just vibration, vibration. Mm -hmm. vibration, vibration, high frequency vibration. So if you apply vibrations in these two legs, then the robot moves this way and the other way like this. So we wanted to make this robot rotate too. So we thought to make this robot rotating, uh, we thought to make this robot rotate, we, we thought we had to vibrate these three actuators sequentially. So then, we thought we, it will make this kind of rotational motions. Mm -hmm. But the problem is it was really difficult to, because we are applying high frequency vibration, like a 60 Hertz, relatively high frequency vibrations. So we just vibrated all three actuators at the same time. And we didn't think about really phase or sequence. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it vibrated randomly. And at some point it synchronized by itself, and then it started rotating. So, yeah, so in that research, we were kind of surprised how we can get uh, the kind of effect or research. Mm -hmm. And, but if you drop coin on the table, the coin bounces randomly in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But at some point, it starts rotating yeah. until it stops. So it was something like that. So the random vibrations of the tripod robots mm -hmm. that physically or mechanically synchronizes it. And then they make sequential vibrations and then they make yeah. rotation. So that was really unexpected result and that we were excited about that. That's interesting, yeah. 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 I also found an interesting uh, article related to this vibration, vibration rotations. So actually my student. So, mm -hmm. so in Manchester Museum in UK, so there is a statue called Nebsenu. So that is ancient Egyptian statue displayed in Manchester Museum in UK. And so I think this is about like a, of uh, seven years ago, they had really news about this statue because 
people saying this statue is cursed. So yeah. the statue is just displayed in static, but really slowly it rotates. So at some point you go to the museum and then it's, it's facing this direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at some point it's facing the other direction. Mm -hmm. So people was people were really interested in how this happens. Yeah. And the scientists did some investigations and they found that the vibration of the buildings and vibration of the streets makes this statue rotate because the bottom of the statue has a really slightly convex shape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the interesting thing is they put a camera like a few days in the museum and mm -hmm. they, they observed the, the statue. So during the daytime, the, uh, the day starts and then the sun rises and then the statue rotates slowly, very slowly. And then at night, the sun goes down and then mm -hmm. people are not moving and there are no, no, not, much, not many cars outside. And then the statue stops. So it looks like it's sleeping and waking up, sleeping and waking up. That's so, interesting, I think that, yeah. Yeah, so you can look it up online. So there is a uh, information that's really interesting. So I, it, I is think, called, yeah. it is called Lepsenu. I don't know what that means in uh, Egyptian words. It's interesting that how the shape of the curving is really significant in design. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Yeah, so uh, just doing some uh, experiments that is really exciting sometimes in the lab. But if you find the information, which is related to your research, but you never expected to have. That is really uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. That is really yeah. a big part of your research. Thanks for sharing that. Very interesting, very interesting. Thank you for sharing the story. Um, so we are closing to the end. I have a few questions. I will go to the audience question. We have, uh, maybe we can take one because it's a long question. The first question from Eric, he asked us about uh, computer vision found widespread success uh, with the advent of silver driving car. So do you think soft fingers and artificial tactile sensing are moving towards also commercial success, be commercially successful? If so, what are specific application you think about? Yeah, I think that's highly possible. So I'm doing robotics, but uh, some people are thinking, uh, some people who are, uh, I'm doing soft robotics, but soft robotics is not really for replacing uh, traditional robots. So traditionally, traditionally robots were made of metals and rigid structures, but those robots have their own applications. But I don't think soft robots will replace those uh, areas. So by having soft materials and soft robots, I think we can find new applications in which robots were not really used in the past. Mm -hmm. So by developing soft robotics technologies, so I expect we will have robots in our daily lives where we didn't really think about we we're going to use robots. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. yeah. Yeah. So, 10 years ago, I never thought about computer speaker would be your friend in your home. Yeah. Yeah. But now everybody 
call is uh, your speaker and then ask a lot of information and ask uh, your uh, ask a lot of things to your speaker. Yeah. Um, and also, Eric has a uh, message for you. He said that at the beach, his student working with liquid metal, a bit soft sensor. I, I'm asked, thank you for all interesting reading you have provided. So we won't say that to us well. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, so because we're going to the end, uh, maybe I'm asking you, do you have any crazy questions uh, or any ideas you have for uh, when it comes to sensor and actuation? Do you have any crazy ideas you ever thought about? When you look to nature, do you have any inspiration? You think that's very inspiring and we don't really consider that. It's not optimum, but that's exists in nature and that's interesting. Yes, so that reminds me of my PhD topics uh, during my uh, yeah, PhD research. So my inspiration for my PhD research topic was arthropods, like scorpions and insects and crabs. So when you think about robots and then when you think about uh, future robots and then relations relation relations to biology it's easy to think about advanced uh, biological organisms like the humans and uh, mammals but not many people think uh, arthropods are, could be really useful i know Yeah, so it is easy to think about humans or mammals as a mother of robots. But we focused on arthropods like scorpions and crabs because they're covered with exoskeletons. And it's easy to think of exoskeletons don't have a sensor feedback. Uh, but we found uh, interesting sensory uh, feedback organ organs in their exoskeleton, called this is slit sensilla or campanicopus sensilla. So by having those sensors, they can detect the structural deformation of their body. So it's more like a biological strain sensors in their bodies. So we wanted to have those kind of structures in the robots. So even though you make robotic structures with rigid materials, if you can have those strain sensors many strain sensors are spread it on the body, then you will have a sensing uh, capability like a human skin. So not exactly the same way, but uh, similar information you can get, like the location of the contact and also the magnitude and direction of the uh, contact. Mm -hmm. so, so during my PhD research, those arthropods were really inspiring uh, to me. So I'm here to ask you about the risk and the ideas because we ask all the time about having risky ideas, new ideas. Sometimes it's challenging in terms of getting like publication or funding, various incremental research. For you, how you manage to get maybe um, innovative ideas and maybe risky? And have you ever thought about this kind of, because we have a pressure of publication and people say that sometimes if you have a pressure to publish, you're afraid to go for risky ideas because it's risky. Have you ever thought about the risk and ideas if you have an idea, want to do that, and also it's risky. Have you ever thought mm -hmm. about this risk and uh, what you aspire to design? Yes, yeah, so uh, 
yeah, so we have many ideas, but not all the ideas are really working. And also not all the ideas are, not all the ideas are appreciated by uh, other people, right? So sometimes we try to uh, publish a paper based on our ideas, which we thought really interesting and exciting, but uh, there are papers, there are also many papers which were not accepted, which were not accepted. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know, there is a, a really specific way uh, to manage those situations, but you just try and then you just try and then you just try to persuade. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. that's what you do. And also, uh, I think a person, uh, I think, uh, yeah. and also, we cannot generate new ideas all the time forever, right? So our capability is really limited all the time. Mm -hmm. As I just did, uh, as a just a simple human. And also, I don't have a lot of ideas all the time. Yeah. Sometimes I have ideas. Sometimes uh, I feel I'm really limited to uh, certain areas. So, what I try is I try to encourage my students to generate uh, new ideas. So yeah. the way I think is really different from the way other people is thinking. So each person has different way of thinking. Each person has different way of perspectives, perspectives in designing, controlling, or making robots or other things. So I always ask you, my students to generate new ideas. And then if you have very interesting ideas, go for it. And then I, I'm always supportive. So many of the papers published from my lab was initiated from my students, not from me. So I think encouraging other people and encouraging new ideas is really important. And that makes uh, the society always growing and developing. That's very important message. So thank you for saying that, thank you. And uh, do you think ego is important for you? I think you need a balance. Okay. Yeah, so ego is important because that is sometimes uh, energy to generate new ideas and then mm. uh, propose new things all the time. But if your ego is too strong, then uh, you, will, you will lose chance to look at other people's ideas, uh, other people's work. Yeah, so you have to respect and then you have to accept other people's ideas and other people's work, but you, yeah, but you need to think about uh, what you want to be and then what achievements you want to have. So to make it possible, you need to have ego, yeah. But that's a really philosophical question. Yeah, it's hard to answer. Okay, uh, I appreciate the honesty. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. And what could be the most important quality you have gained, and you have to maintain in academia? Something you have to maintain. Most important quality for you. So, uh, always. So, based on uh, the area of my work. Uh, so, like I said, idea is really important. So you mm -hmm. need to generate new ideas and novel ideas all the time. Yeah. 
but idea doesn't really come suddenly. So I don't think I'm a really smart person or I'm smarter than uh, normal people. But sometimes if you think about one thing long time continuously, if you focus and then, then sometimes it takes time, but at some point you will have new ideas. So there are many ideas you can generate, but sometimes you need to just keep holding on one idea and then trying to develop, trying to advance those ideas. And then you will, you will always have some uh, hurdles and uh, problems, but if you think about one problem all the time, then sometimes you will have a small answers and small answers. And those answers will be integrated and uh, be a uh, final solution. Yeah. And lastly, what was the best advice uh, was given to you and was a life changing? The best advice was given to you. Uh, yeah. So during my PhD, so I was working on developing uh, a sensor sensing system. So in the beginning of my PhD, and then so I was working on the part of the project. So we wanted to develop. Uh, robotic sense, uh, we wanted to develop new type of force sensor for mobile robots. And so there was a deadline for the project. And then I worked really hard and hard and then I spent a lot of time. And then I thought I worked really hard, but in the end, it didn't work. My idea didn't work, even though uh, I spent so, so much, I spent so much time on that. And then after the project, uh, after the project, the, after the deadline of the project, uh, my advisor came to me and then told me, so I understand that you worked really hard, and, but PhD research is not just working hard. So the research is more like a, you create your own problem and then you give your own solution. So you always need to think about what problem you are trying to solve and what problems we are making. So uh, from the time, I always thought about what kind of new problems I wanted to solve. So I think that is really great uh, advice. And that, that yeah. That's a brilliant advice. Even in life, I think, in research and life, it's same. So that's excellent advice. Thank you for sharing that as well. Thank you. And do you have any final words you would like to say for the robotics community? Any final words? Uh, yeah, uh, I really appreciate uh, this opportunity and thanks for inviting. And yeah, there are more and more people who are working on soft robotics research. So yeah, so like my advisor said to me, yeah, I wanted to uh, say to new, stu uh, new students and the new researchers that uh, it'd be really helpful and useful if you can think about what kind of new problems you want to solve before trying to providing uh, new solutions, you need to define your problems first. Absolutely, that's really wise words and most beautifully said. So thank you. Thank you once again, Professor Angli. It was a pleasure and honor to have you on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you.